Good morning. Good morning. Stiff stand. All right. Um, you know, waiting is really a discipline. And uh, you've probably heard us use words like that before, uh, dis, you know, disciplines with other things. And uh, we as shepherds, we want to teach more about uh, like spiritual disciplines and stuff like that later on. But for, for today, I just want us to kind of just wrap our heads around the idea that waiting is a discipline. Now, when I use the word discipline, we think of that in two different ways. One, we would think of that as a reprimand or a correctness of an undesired behavior, right? So, for example, I would discipline my kids when they spill popcorn all over the floor, right? That kind of idea. Uh, Jacob. Uh, (laughs) uh, But discipline is also, um, I mean, if we have to be honest with ourselves, it's forcing ourselves to do something that maybe we don't actually want to do, right? Right? Uh, that might be the, like maybe the most layman and the most simple term to kind of think of that, right? Um, I'm going to discipline myself to exercise. Uh, I, I really don't like exercising. I don't enjoy it at all, uh, but, but I do it because I know it helps with heart health. It helps with all these other things, right? Helps burn energy. There's a lot of good reasons and g- good things that come from exercising. It doesn't mean that I, I want to do it, <laughs> right? So when we think of that, when the terms of waiting... I think we can see the similarities there. It's like, we don't necessarily want to wait on anything. You know, we live in the fast food era, right? We want food now. We want the microwave to tell us that the peas are done in 30 seconds or whatever, right? We don't like to wait. So for us, it is a discipline. It's not something that we want to do. So as we are in the Advent season, which we understand Advent as this idea of already, but not yet. Meaning that Jesus Christ has already come down, taken on flesh, died on a cross to make us right with God in the courtroom of heaven, right? All of our sins are covered by his blood because of what he did, right? That has already happened. But we also understand that there's an aspect of this that's not yet. It hasn't yet been fulfilled, right? We are waiting for Christ to come back, for us. So it's already, but not yet. So we wait. We sit here and we wait. We, we gather on Sunday mornings and we, we teach and we sing and we worship and we learn as we wait. Today, the topic that we're going to be talking about with you know, our lovely words that we have here on the banner, today we're talking about joy. And uh, I think oftentimes people will put joy in the same category as happiness. And uh, we, you know, we kind of taught on this before, so uh, if you've heard this already, uh, great. It's good for you to hear it again. If not, it's good for you to know this. It's both true and not. Um, happiness, I would describe more as an expression of joy. Because you can kind of have one without the other right? There are plenty of people in this world that are happy, right? They're, they're enjoying the things that they have, the things that they do, and the people that they're around, but they don't necessarily have anything rooted deep down inside of them that would help them experience what true joy actually is, right? But that's not necessarily hindering their happiness necessarily, right? That, that expression of it. And just to kind of flip the coin on that, there's plenty of people that have that deep, that deep, like just joy down inside of them, but yet they're really struggling to express it. 
They might not feel very happy, even though they have that, that knowledge down deep inside of them. So for our understanding, possibly the, the best way to, to, to think about this is, is joy is more of like a satisfaction that you find just deep within your soul that can oftentimes be just expressed in different ways. And a lot of times, yes, that is happiness. That is giggles and smiles. That's, that's in there, 100%. But not always. One of the truest times that I think I probably felt joy was at the birth of my children. And, um, you know, I'm sure some people say, well, what about when you were saved? It's like, okay, calm down. Just, okay, for this particular example, right, we're going to save with my children, okay? And the only reason why I want to use this as a specific example is because when, when they're born, it's not just one emotion, right? Like, yeah, there's a, there's a sense that you feel, you feel happy, Right? But there's also an element of fear. There's also an element of just amazement. Because, you know, you just witnessed a miracle. You witnessed the miracle of life. So there's just so many mixture of emotions and so many things that are happening right then that the only thing you could think of is just, I don't know, I just feel satisfied in that moment. But what we also need to realize is that just like everything else in this created world that we live in, it's limited. That moment was there, and now it's gone, right? I'm not saying there's not other joys that come with children or anything like that. I'm just saying that moment is gone. It's limited. My ability, my capacity to love my kids is limited. Their ability and capacity to love me back is limited, thing is, you will never find true joy if you continue to root it in things you can accomplish. I'm going to say that again. You will never find true joy if you continue to root it in things you can accomplish. Why? Because anything that you accomplish on your own as a, as a finite, limited being will also be finite and limited. I helped, right, create the children, right? But, you know, someday they won't be here, just like I won't. In a sense, we're limited. Isaiah 40 tells us that flesh is like grass, and grass withers and flowers fade. But let me be clear. So there's nothing wrong with finding joy in these things, right? Finding joy in your children, finding joy in um, events, finding joy in uh, wh- whatever thing you would want to put in that category, right? There- there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying that we necessarily just say, well, it's not worth it, right? Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, let's move on, right? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, actually, the Bible lays out several different ways on how that's actually not true, right? So if we read, um, even in Psalm 65, 12, uh, in that we find out that when God created everything, right, in Genesis 1, he created everything and said that it is good, right? So it's, it's okay to enjoy good things from God. So 60, Psalm 65, 12 says, it's the grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. 
So when we go out and you, you see the, the beauty of like trees and rivers and lakes and oceans and all this other thing, like it's okay to sit there and just kind of soak that in and feel a sense of just satisfaction and joy within you when you admire the creation that God has given us. This is an okay thing to do. There's a, we, we've only mentioned it like one time, but we are starting a, a troop for trail life here. And it's, what, what trail life is, is it's a scouting, Christian scouting program for boys. That, that's what it is. So we're going to be charting one of the troops here. And one of the things that we get to do with that is point the bo- boys to how like the beauty of God's creation, right? You take them on hikes, you take them fishing, you should show them all this stuff and just let them just soak that in understanding that we have a good God that created good things for us. And they get to find enjoyment in those things. Uh, it's actually really funny. This isn't in my notes, but it's actually really funny when you think of the word enjoy and read about the, like the, the source literature of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, if you really break it down, it's kind of simple to think about. So you think enjoy, right? And there's a lot of roots there. It's actually got some uh, French um, and some Latin to it. Uh, but in a sense, what it actually does is turn joy into more of a noun. So kind of like thinking you swim in a pool kind of thing. So when you enjoy something, you're literally in joy kind of thing. It's, it's really kind of interesting. So, um, so when we are enjoying something, it's like we're, we're basking in that joyfulness, right? Or, you know, taking enjoyment in events and weddings. Uh, for example, Jeremiah thirty-three eleven, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank, give, thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Um, finding joy in our children, Proverbs twenty-three twenty-four, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a son will be glad in him. All great things to be joyful in, but still yet limited. Because at the end of the day, having joy in like events and places and gatherings, like eventually your favorite restaurant's gonna close. Eventually the party's gonna end, right? Traditions die out. Uh, Growing up, the big tradition in my family was we would gather at my grandmother's house in Iberia, Missouri, in a house that's about 1,200 square feet, and there'd be at least 65 people there. And the kids loved it, and the adults were miserable. It was amazing. And I haven't done that since junior high. High school, round in there. And eventually, things fade, and seasons end. Things are limited. Things will go away. Um, you find joy in your spouse. You find joy in a girlfriend. You try and find joy in a boyfriend. It's like, man, if I could only get that other person to spend the rest of my life with. But unfortunately, divorces happen. Deaths happen. And they're gone. See, even having joy in your children. I think you know, everyone would agree one of the toughest relationships you can have is whenever your children and your parent have a wedge and they no longer get along. 
you no longer see your kids for the holidays, that kind of thing. It's all limited. See, there's only one thing that was supposed to live for all eternity and give us joy for all eternity. There was only one thing that was supposed to give us that deep satisfaction that would never fade and have a joy that would never fade and that all started in Luke 2. If you would read that with me, Luke 2 verses 8 through 11. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There is only one person that was meant to bring us great joy for all eternity, and that is Christ. Everything else is limited. Everything else lacks the capacity to fulfill the satisfaction that your soul requires. God didn't just announce his birth. He said the joy was going to spread and it was going to be great and it was going to be for all people. That means people from all career paths, all races, all sexes, all of it. He was for you. To bring you into him. And to make you part of the family. And to satisfy you for all eternity. I'm talking about a joy that comes because your name is written in heaven. A book that can never be erased. Nothing can pluck you from the hand of God. And when you have a full understanding of the satisfaction and the confidence that comes from your eternal seat in heaven, even if you don't know how to express it, there's something in you that's just settled. That's what's really funny, actually, about the Advent season and we talk about these, these words is that the line between them kind of gets blurry. You know, because people would all say, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, if you have that eternal state, you're at peace with God, yeah, which is true. It's like, well, if you have peace with God, maybe that, that's settling your soul, right? So now you have joy. It's like, well, yeah, that's also true. That's why it's so important that whenever we t teach through Advent, we teach all of the words because they do intermix and they play off one another and one builds off of the next. One is the result of another one. But they all lead us back to the same conclusion that they're all empty apart from Christ. There's a really good picture in Luke 10, verses 17 through 20. And if you want to turn there real quick and read this with me. I, I, I love this picture because Jesus sends out uh, some disciples, 72 of them to be exact. And yeah, there's more than 12. Uh, sends out 72 of them. And they go out and they like, do this mission and then they come back to Jesus and they start being like, oh, we did such a great job. And Jesus directs, directs their joy in such a way that's just beautiful. Starting verse 17. 
the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Well, that's good news. And they're like, yeah, that's right, you did. That's right. And we just did all these things. Look at us go. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Just the, the, how Jesus directs their joy is absolutely beautiful. Taking them out of what they are currently experiencing. I says, no, no, no. There's something greater and much longer for this to be rooted in. And let me show you what that is. And even on the surface, uh, I just want to go back a few verses when he says, I saw Satan fall like heaven or fall like lightning from heaven. Sorry. And it was just like when you first read this, you're just kind of like, man, it feels like Jesus is really kind of putting down what they did, right? I mean, the, the, all these disciples came back like, look at what we did. This is so great. We did such a great job. And Jesus is like, that's nothing. Which kind of seems almost like degrading, right? If you, if you read it that way, it's like, oh, man, well, I thought we did really good. I think the default for us whenever we are reading Jesus teaching disciples and things like we we read it like a father would teach his child and we try to look at it through that lens a little. So I want us to kind of look through that, uh, look at this passage through that, okay? So how would a father want to teach their child with this, right? He's not degrading. He's just simply giving them perspective, right? Which is, which is very different, right? So a father is kind of like give, pouring in to their child and trying to teach them how to use a bow and arrow or a, or a gun, right? Because they're wanting to take them on a hunt, okay? And they're trying to say like, hey, look, this is what you do, everything, you know, uh, you, you know, how you use a bow. I don't bow hunt, so I, you do something like this, right? But, and he's trying to, trying to teach him and all this. And then they, the kid finally goes out and goes hunting on his own. It's like, okay, I'm going to stay here, son. You go over there, a couple hollers over, right? And sit there. You go hunting over there. And the kid, like, he finally gets his first buck or something, right? And he, obviously, he's going to be ecstatic. Comes back to his father, like, look what I did. I finally hit the target. I did it, right? And the dad comes back, eh, that's nothing. Which automatically feels kind of, ugh, Right? But what Jesus is actually trying to do here is more kind of point out, it's like, yeah, that's great and all, but what you need to realize is someday you're not even going to have to eat. You're not even going to need this. Because eventually I'm going to make all things new. Eventually this is all going to be glorified. He's just trying to give them perspective. It's like, realize that, yes, your accomplishments here are something, yes, that are, that are good. It's something that we can rejoice in. Uh, in Romans, it tells us, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to keep an eternal perspective when it comes to how we root our joy and our satisfaction. That's all Jesus is trying to do here, saying, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
So church, yes, we, we rejoice when we have victories in mission. We rejoice when we have victories in discipleship here. But ultimately, we need to rejoice that we understand that the war has already been won. That our sins are already covered. And we understand that it is that root that allows us to do everything else. Find joy in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And understand that it is through his work we find joy. It is through his work that we are given the strength to do all the things that these 72 had done. (laughs) And all the churchy things we do on Sundays. We can only do that because of what Jesus did. And because what he promised he will do. Maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe you don't know if your name is written in heaven. Maybe you're having trouble finding that true satisfaction deep within you. Well, today we all, I hope that you, you hear that the root in that is not found in you. And if you continue to pursue joy in the things that you create and the things that you purposely pursue, (laughs) you'll never find it apart from the cross. There are things that we struggle with every day. There are things that make it hard to show and express our joy. And even the Bible kind of contradicts almost, it seems. First uh, Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances and be joyful in hope. It's like in all circumstances? In everything? Because there are plenty of things that I'm probably not very joyful about. This last Friday um, was Betty Turner's funeral. And there were plenty of people there that was obviously sad. You know, they were crying, they were upset and everything. But I used a few of these verses actually in the funeral and I hope it blessed them because, and I I believe a lot of them there understood it. You can just kind of tell from talking to them that even though I'm sad right now, I understand that there's something, something deeper and there's something more satisfying than this emotion I'm feeling right now. There may be things in your life that are hindering your happiness, that are hindering you from fully expressing your joy. And you're, and you're battling that emotional state within you. So just remember, Jesus didn't call you to an emotion. He called you to a mission. And sometimes, no, you're not going to feel like it. And that's where discipline comes in. And this morning, I did want to give, before we close here, some practical ideas of how we can help build joy within us and lean on Christ and what he's trying to teach us. Because like we are here in Advent. We are, we are anticipating the next good thing. So we're forced to wait, right? So in our waiting, how do we wait well? Well, I'd like to take uh, 
the time here and just kind of go through these. The first one is just simply spending time with the Lord. And I, I realize that that feels very churchy. <laughs> well, just spend time with the Lord, you know? And I, I feel like a lot of times that is said and people kind of like, I don't really know what that means. Like, okay, so do I just sit quietly or what, what, what does that mean? In a sense, kind of, okay? So spending time with the Lord is more than just sitting quietly. You, you, you need to have the scripture in front of you. So here would be my challenge, especially through the holidays here, is find time to go to a place that only you will be at, okay? Fine, even, even if it means cleaning out some closet that you have in your house, whatever, finding a kitchen chair, putting it in there, and closing the door <laughs> just to have some private time. Devote as much time as you think you can. And sometimes that's five minutes. Sometimes that's 15. Sometimes that's more. But devote time to read. And some people like the, uh, the old adage, right? You take the Bible, you just kind of open up to a random page. Like, there, now God is speaking to me. <laughs> right? Well, if that's what you got, um, I think any page in the Bible wouldn't be bad. So... <laughs> But the best thing, what I would encourage is pick a book. Pick a New Testament book. Start chapter 1, verse 1. And start reading. But before then, just say a short prayer. Asking God to speak to you through his word. Lay that groundwork for God to truly speak into your soul. Into your spirit. And start reading. See, to hear that still small voice, you need to become still and small. Sometimes you need to take your worries and realize that they're not as big as you think. And realize the most important thing to do right now is pray, read, and listen. Next thing is to actually memorize scripture. Have it ready to go. If you're feeling uh, your happiness being sucked out of you <laughs> from uh, either you know, your, your boss or your spouse, your kids, your proverbial social media stones that people want to throw at you, whatever it may be, and you just feel that life being sucked out of you, just have some scripture ready. And I have some right here if you would allow me to read them and basically just pray them over you real quick. Um, here are just a few. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Second one is in James chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 or verses 2 through 3. Apologize. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's a good one to memorize. Proverbs 12.20. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. I just want to pray those over you this morning. If anyone would 
like those four. I'm more than willing to share my notes with you and you can have those. But feel free to, to pray and just simply ask, man, Lord, like, speak to me. There may be other, there, there are so many scriptures, right? There may be one that really speaks to you. Have the Lord direct you in that. And finally, give of yourself. Uh, Timothy Keller wrote a really good book. It's about that big, like that. So it's a glorified pamphlet, is what it is. But it's really good, and it's called The Art of Self-Forgetfulness. And what he makes the point of saying is just simply all of our problems that we think of in society today, we like to think is rooted in the fact that no one has self-esteem, right? I do all of these self-damaging things. I am mean to other people. I, am, I have anxiety. I have all of these other things, right? Because I don't have confidence in myself. I am lowly. I am ugh, just, you know, I'm not worth it. Those kinds of things. And he actually says, no. We actually think too highly of ourselves, The reason why I have anxiety is because I think that my to-do list is the most important thing. The reason why I am depressed is because I don't have the fancy car like this other person does. And I deserve it. Now, these might not be words that you actually say. You don't even realize that maybe that's what it is. But it's just his theory, right? His theory is that, no, we actually think too highly of ourselves. And if we were to simply forget ourselves for five minutes and put ourselves aside and realize that Christ is actually the most important thing and his mission on this earth is the most important thing, we may find out that our anxiety, our depression, and all of our other things may simply go away. So the third thing, and this isn't just because I'm the mission guy, but I would say maybe we need to start practicing a little bit of self-forgetfulness. Matthew 6, verses 3 through 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But love your enemies. Luke 6 verse 35, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the, <clears throat> he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Luke six twenty three. rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Something we point to a lot at this church and we live by it is the Great Commission here, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples. Church, we understand that there are things that happen in this church and every other church that requires our attention just to keep the lights on, everything like that. But we have to understand that this church is not the most important thing. The churches in Jeff City aren't even necessarily the most important thing. The kingdom is the most important thing. And as soon as we start putting that in perspective, we may find that we have a deeper satisfaction in our soul that we never knew was there. As we move to close, and I invite Nathan back up.
I simply want to ask, where do you think your satisfaction is this morning? Where, where do you feel your joy is rooted? Or do you feel like, man, I'm not joyful at all. In fact, I'm kind of grumpy. Right? It's Christmas time. Who here is a Grinch? Do it. Raise your hand. Thank you, Jimmy. Ah, called out. Uh, <laughs> Happiness isn't necessarily going to happen from your joy, right? There, there are things in this world that are hard. There are things in this world every day that can make that hard to express. But sometimes if we learn to just forget about ourselves for a little bit, and realize there's something much deeper that one we're called to and something much deeper that Christ put in us, we may find that whenever people see us and see how joyful we are, they see that happiness and that joy just flowing out of us, we actually start living out the song, Joy to the World. Because it's kind of hard to bring people to Christ and say, yes, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened. He will satisfy you and just all this forgiving you. Right? We say all those things. It's like, but you're grumpy. How is that helpful? Maybe you just need to forget about it. Find peace and rest in the finished work of Christ. And maybe that's what you're struggling with this morning. It's like, yeah, you know what? I do believe, but not that much. <laughs> or maybe there is something that's holding back you emotionally, right? It's like, no, I'm there. I've considered my, myself a Christian for 25 years. But I really struggle to put a smile on my face. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to memorize scripture. Maybe you need time with the Lord. Or maybe you just need to forget and give of yourself. So as we move to, uh, move to our response time, I would ask that you pray about that. And truly ask yourself, man, what is hindering this in me? Where is this bitterness coming from? Respond however the Spirit leads you.